What's up internet? Hope you're all doing well. Uh, this is the random bloke in a shed, although we're not in a shed today. Had to have to do a little change of venue and move it into the house, which is kind of defeating the whole gimmick of recording it in a shed. But you know what? Gimmicks are only relevant when you're choosing to be. So today we're going to talk about um, something I like. We're going to talk about tabletop gaming. So I've mentioned before, and I normally do a segment of little Dungeon Dragon tabletop stories at the end. I've mentioned before that I play um, tabletop games. So recently the party I was running all died in a campaign wipe. So I thought, you know what, that inspired me a little bit. And I was like, well, I'm going to start a new campaign. Why don't I just make an episode about this? And we'll see if people like it. And I hope you do. So this is time for a tabletop tutorial brought to you by the letter T. So... I'm not going to do the news of the week segment anymore because, I'll be honest, I ain't got the time to keep up with it all. There's just too much going on sometimes and like, I'm not a big social media person so maybe if I have more free time going forward, who knows, that might come back and it might actually be good. So for the time being I thought how about I just tell you about you know something I've watched recently. So I've recently just finished watching uh, Shadow and Bone on Netflix. It's, do you know what, I had mixed feelings about it. Because on the one hand, it's actually quite a decent show. I quite like um, the magic in it. It's interesting. And obviously I talked about steampunk and sort of more, the more industrious sort of fantasy last week. And Shadow and Bone is a really good example of what I mean when I say modernisation killed magic. So if you've watched it, you might remember at one point there's a scene where a couple of characters are speaking about the, uh, the wizards of the world, which are called Grisha. And... A man says, we're going to win the war because each of our Grisha is of 100 men. And then the revolver was invented and suddenly they were worth 50. And then the repeating rifle was invented and suddenly they were only worth 10. So I liked those aspects of the show. I liked the overarching story, but it just had a bit much sort of tweeny love story nonsense to it. I like my fantasy gritty. But good show. I, I recommend it. I'd give it a 6 out of 10 if I was going to rate it. I haven't read the books. They're definitely on my list now, at least. So, with that, um, let's cut some tunes. Well, like I said, everyone, welcome to episode 4. Put a brew on and all that. This, uh, you've already know the title, so I'm going to not repeat myself again like I'm doing right now. So, overarching point of this episode is for anyone out there who's maybe trying to get into tabletop gaming or is interested but doesn't know where to start, this is a, a rundown of the different systems, sort of the more popular ones, the ones that I know and that I've played. I've played a few at this point, mainly Dungeons and Dragons, but I've done a bit of Pathfinder. I did a few sessions of Star Wars, I know there's Fallout and Star Trek, There's if, if you can name a video game franchise or a franchise in general, there's probably a tabletop rendition of it. So if you already play tabletop games, like you know, stick around and listen, you might find something I've said interesting, but for those of you that are considering it, you know, this 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 is for you guys, because I didn't start these playing this game until I was about 20. I know a lot of schools in the UK and America have game clubs where they play this sort of thing so you know get out there get into the community make some friends they're normally not all arseholes but you know it's the same as everywhere you go you get good people and arseholes so we're going to kick this off as soon as I get my notes and I was going to talk about the base premise so 
to a layman, like I've tried to explain this to my brother, for instance, and the best way I could describe it to him is it's a procedurally generated game that is run by the imagination of whoever is running it. <clears throat> so, for example, uh, a campaign, as you call it, is your adventure. It's your journey as players. And it's run by a GM or a DM. And they create the story and create the characters you meet along the way. They create the plots, the quests, the missions, and the players essentially play it out. So it's mainly a role-playing game. You create a character and immerse yourself within it, and you know you're basically acting out a character. And for some people, that may be a bit daunting and a little bit awkward. And you know, I'm no exception. I thought it was a bit awkward when I first started playing the game, but you very quickly get into it. So you normally run it with a set of dice to roll your statistics for your character so like your strength, your wisdom, your intelligence, things like that and you play the game it's it's hard to it's hard to play if you've got an entire group of people that have never played the game it's a lot harder but generally the handbooks and the GM guides are very comprehensive on how to run the game so you can find your feet so let's give some examples of it We've got, you know, the classic one that everyone who knows Tabletop will know, which is Dungeons and Dragons, or just D&D as most people call it, and that's made by Wizards of the Coast, and that's kind of the original. Uh, the skis of Gary Gygax, he was sat in his basement one day playing with maps, and he went, cool, I could make a game about this. And he did, he created Dungeons and Dragons. And, yeah. There's also Pathfinder, which I think is probably... Dungeon Dragons Biggest Competition, which is um, from Piazzo. I'm not going to name what all of them are from because I can't remember it all off the cuff and I'm not that detailed in my notes. Pathfinder, it's quite similar. It's again sort of the fantasy, sword and sorcery, heroes going out to fight dragons and save princesses and things like that. Uh, Deadlands is one that I really want to play but I just, just can't convince my, my group of friends to play it. Deadlands, it's more western. It's a magic western with steam technology and spirits and monsters and it's just everything I like and I really wish I could find a group to play it. Now Piazza also made Starfinder which it runs like Pathfinder <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of Inders here but it's a science fiction setting with spaceships, hover cars, guns things like that, lasers um, to go in that same direction of a futuristic aesthetic, you'd have Cyberpunk. Not the CD Project Red game, but the game was actually adapted, and not everyone will notice it was adapted from a tabletop system um, of a role-playing game called Cyberpunk. And there's been three or four editions of Cyberpunk now. I think one of them came out a couple of years ago, not too long ago at all. Uh, and that's a very, very cool. Its its whole intention is everything you do is going to be cool and amazing and extreme and that's the whole premise of it there's also Warhammer Fantasy which I've obviously done uh, an episode talking about Warhammer before so don't need to harp on about what that world's about it's Warhammer guys it's the darkest of fantasy worlds and we've also got Legend of the Five Rings <laughs> I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction now we've got Legend of the Five Rings which is um, more Pan-Asian Japanese sort of region of the world uh, inspired, so it's got a lot of the philosophies and mythologies of that rolled into it. But you've also got Star Wars, Star Trek, like I said, you've got a Fallout tabletop system, 
Um, another good one, a good one if you're sort of into the more investigatory side of things. If you'd sort of rather role play uh, a paranormal detective, think like Supernatural, the TV show, you'd be looking at Call of Cthulhu, or Cthulhu, depending on your pronunciation. I say Cthulhu, though. And that is actually low fantasy. It's sort of set in the real world with supernatural elements. And a lot of those games tend to be more investigatory. There's normally more tricks and such to deal with your foes. Whereas in, say, Pathfinder, although you do role-play diplomacy and talk your way out in and out of situations, there's a really comprehensive combat system because a big part of these games, for the most part, is combat. Um, but when I talk about that, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that later when we talk about how the game is actually played. So... To give you a rundown of how of one of these systems, I'm going to use D&D as the prime example. So D&D has gone through huge amounts of changes since it emerged in I want to say it was 1970 something. Like it was either it was either 74 or 77. Both those dates are relevant for different reasons, but I know it's 74 or 77. So D&D at the time, I haven't played the original editions. I haven't played. Dungeon Dragons base, and I haven't played uh, Dungeon Dragons, uh, Advanced Dungeon Dragons, I haven't played Advanced Dungeon Dragons, I've played 2nd Edition, so when it was first created it had relatively few rules by comparison to what we have now, but as the game sort of became a bit more popular and it started actually selling copies, they created Advanced Dungeon Dragons, which was for your more hardcore rule people, it had new things like encumbrance, carry weights, uh, food ration management, the sort of things that I as a DM tend to ignore, unless it's like extreme, so like, I say to my players, you can carry as much weight as you want as long as it's not excessive, but I'll cover home brewing later. So after that they eventually released the second edition, which added more classes and such, and built upon the original. Now I spent a lot of time playing Advanced Dungeon Dragon 2nd Edition AD&D and that is ball crushingly difficult. If, if you're a new tabletop player you do not start with AD&D 2nd Edition. It's horrific. Unless you're into like that kind of difficulty spike, you know, the Dark Souls generation. Um, so that is also quite rule heavy but again that has a lot of optional rules. Quite a lot of times in the handbook it says this is optional. Ask your GM for more. And yeah, eventually they released 3rd edition, 3.5, 4th and 5th. Now, as time went on, these editions became more more spectacular and cinematic. So, to give you a, a comparison, in 1st and 2nd edition, when you start your adventure as a level 1 wizard, as a level 1 warrior, paladin, you're kind of starting as a nobody. You can't really cast any spells of worth, you can't cast a lot of spells... You have so little health that, I mean, if you go by the base rules, um, you're, you're really dependent on your stat roll as dice luck in the early editions. Like, you're really squishy, and you're kind of just a peasant who's found a vocation that they've learned the absolute basics of. If you're a fighter, you're not even like a town militiaman, really. You're probably just a merchant who's a bit hard, or a farmer who can throw a punch. Whereas... As you move forwards to sort of 3.5 and 5th edition, where things get a bit more extreme, there's a lot more use in low-level characters. And everything is sort of scaled up and down and left and right, and you, you feel from the start more heroic, more spectacular as adventurers who can take on the world. Now, 
I have pluses and negatives of this. On the one hand, I like second edition because one, it's very easy to get into character because the threat of death looms around you at all times. So, you, if you're like me and you really enjoy the role playing of a character, you find yourself getting really invested because your next encounter might be your last because every encounter is hard. And because you sort of start as this weak little peasant and you build this character up, you kind of feel more of a connection to it. Almost like if you're someone who can really immerse themselves in a video game, the progressive growing of power that you enjoy. Now, that's a good and a bad thing. It's a bad thing because it's so easy to fail. And that kind of makes it, for me, a little bit more... Mm, yeah, I like to succeed occasionally. I don't want every combat encounter to be like the end of my life. Like every now and then I just want to kill a couple dozen goblins and be like, yeah, you know, powerful sorcerer mate, throw some fireballs. Because that's what you'll be doing, new players. You'll be throwing fireballs by level 7, I think. 6 or 7. Whereas 5th edition, I'm going to use 5th because it's the most recent. There are rumours floating around that they're talking about 6th edition. There's nothing yet. No one's really sure. If you've seen it as clickbait, um, don't click it because it's just... Um, you're getting rickrolled. Because <laughs> I've, I've, that happened to me. I got really excited. I was like, holy shit, 6th edition, what is this? And then it was a rickroll. It was great back to my youth of being in school getting rickrolled so the thing about 5th you start feeling powerful you start feeling like I'm ready for adventure and I'm ready to set out on these journeys and fight horrible creatures and that's great but to me it almost becomes at a higher level you're almost unstoppable I mean I play a game and I run a game now the one I'm playing, I'm a level 18 cleric I've never played a level that high in 2nd edition because we've always died before we get there and at this point, the party is basically immortal. We've got quite a balanced group, to be fair. And, it's quite, and there's about six of us. But it's just nothing has killed us for so long because you've got things that like can just resurrect people on full health with all of their resources. And you've got another resurrect, which resurrects them at half health and half reason. And it just becomes really difficult as a GM, as a DM to actually combat the players because it comes to a point where you're like well I could just throw a bunch of ancient dragons at them and horrible things but they're just going to either die immediately or walk through it because they're too powerful and that's kind of the crux fifth although it is incredibly more dynamic and cinematic and there's more options for tactical play it's too easy in later levels unless you start looking into like really really hard campaigns that are there to punish you for being a high level whereas second edition is a lot more difficult but it's also a lot more realistic and gritty and almost like the game wants you to fail but when you do succeed then it's so much more satisfying so that's a brief example of some Dungeon Dragons editions now we've also got Pathfinder which I'm pretty sure has its second edition out I'd have to double check that because I wasn't going to talk about Pathfinder yet. But Pathfinder, to me, is just more complicated. So if I was going to compare it to Dungeons & Dragons, I'd compare it to 3rd edition or 3.5. So it kind of strikes that balance between being cinematic and being uh, realistic. But it has about five, like the character sheet is about 20 pages long. So it's not one I would recommend for a first time ever tabletop gamer. Like... I'd, of, of all of them, I'd recommend 5th edition because it's the easiest to find resources for and it's probably one of the easiest to learn and get the hang of. Like, You can start with whatever you want. 
I can't tell you what to do. That's just my recommendation. I, if I had a group of friends and none of us ever played any tabletop game, I'd start with D&D 5th Edition and go from there. If I wanted to play Star Wars, I'd start with that, obviously. But if I was just going to look for any kind of fantasy tabletop game, I'd start with D&D 5th Edition. Maybe move on to Pathfinder, because that's what my group's currently doing. We're transferring to Pathfinder now, because we enjoy the more complicated rule set. Or at least I do, because I've been doing this a while, so I'm kind of familiar with it anyway, because I've played a bit of Pathfinder before. So, moving away from that, I don't know why I even brought up Pathfinder, to be honest, I didn't really have a lot to say about it at this point, so, <sighs> woo, thanks guy in a room, so, <laughs> now I'm going to explain to you the ideas, so, first one I'm going to talk about is player characters, that's you, that's you my friend, sat at a table, sat at your computer screen, Walking the dog, if you're listening to this, whatever you're doing listening to this, you are the player character. You sit there with your friends or whoever you're playing with, and you create a... a um, <clears throat> oh, sorry, excuse me. I said to clear me throat there. You sit there and you create a character. So, you roll a set of dice to determine their stats. You do what they look like, what race they are, their age. Different races generally give different bonuses and you create the character you're going to act out. Now a big part of this is an alignment system which is divided into good, evil, neutral. So imagine that as a uh, as a downward set of as a downward table. You've got good, evil, neutral going down. Uh, no, sorry, good, neutral, evil going down. And then from left to right, you have lawful, neutral, chaos. So as a player, again, I'm talking about D&D right now because I'm just going to go by the D&D metaphor because I think it's the easiest that most people will understand. They don't all use this system, just a few of them do, specifically the more fantasy-oriented ones. I'm pretty sure the Star Wars one has its own system. I'm pretty sure Warhammer has its own system. But this is just the generic system that probably, I think, most editions I've played use. So you've got lawful good to chaotic evil. So, good. It's good. Lawful, you're a lawful guy. Neutral, you're neutral. Chaos, you're chaotic. It's pretty simple. So you pick lawful, neutral, good. No, sorry. Lawful, <laughs> oh, bad at this. Good, neutral, evil. And then you pick the accompanying ones. So that would be lawful, neutral, chaotic. So chaotic evil would be a maniac. Lawful evil would be like a corrupt politician. So it'd be someone who is lawful but they use the law to their advantage there's someone who can t twist and turn it and find loopholes to get what they want whereas lawful good would be a really good copper maybe um yeah someone who would obeys the law at all cost for the purposes of good and right and justice think of paladin think of stereotypical paladin or chivalrous knight in anything you've read or seen a chivalrous knight character Whereas Lawful Neutral will be someone like Judge Dredd. They don't care about the morality of it. The law is the law. Chaos. So chaotic good. The example I normally give people is Robin Hood. Doesn't give a shit about the law. He's going to steal from the rich, give to the needy. Well, I'm needy. So <clears throat> that's kind of chaotic good. Chaotic neutral is, ah, free spirit, mate. Do what I want. Think anyone. Think anyone who's just a bit of a bastard. Not necessarily evil, they're not malicious, they just kind of do what they want. Whereas, you know, lawful neutral, 
lawful neutral. I've already talked about that. True neutral, I meant to say, sorry. Would be either someone who is almost completely apathetic and just rolls with it uh, at the time. They don't really care. Or someone who believes in the balance in all things. Specifically, you get a lot of druids, especially in older Dungeon Dragons. Um, druids would be very... I want to preserve the balance between civilization and nature, for instance, and good and evil. There must always be balance. Because if any of you have played um, Shadowbringers, you, you see it. Too much of a good thing equals a bad thing. Too much of a bad thing equals a worse thing. So it's good to have the balance between it. Uh, the reason I bring up Shadowbringers is the entire plot of the game, which if you haven't played it, I'm not going to ruin for you. So don't worry. So <clears throat> that's the base concept of alignment. And you create this character to play as the game. Now that this character may die and you'll have to do this all over again and make a new one but hopefully in your first game you won't die really early and you'll get a chance to experience what it's like to roleplay. Now, roleplay. So when I say you're acting out a character, that's literally what I mean. You, you become the character. So say I'm... Oh, who have I played recently? Right, so say I am the half-orc barbarian. I'm a bit up a different way of speaking and get really short-tempered and just want to fight things all the time. And I w I'd act out that character in different situations as obliged to his character. A lot of people write notes on their character and how they want them to be. I tend to freeform a character for a session or two until I kind of find my groove with it. Like, I've already got the idea of he's either good, neutral, evil and chaotic, lawful, all of that. I've already got that all in mind. But I'll then freeform an actual personality for it. So, I feel like I did a really bad justice to my barbarian character there. I played him for like a year. And, um, yeah. So, another good example would be if you wanted to play a noble paladin, you might think to yourself, what would like a knight say in this situation? Oh, fair lady, I shall save thee from thy distresses, oh, fair damsel. Now, I'm not that much. I don't say things like that as characters, I don't really play that class. But that's the idea, if, if you've ever sort of read a book where you've really resonated with a character, you can almost recreate that with D&D &D and create your interpretation of a character. And that's, to me, why a lot of people gravitate towards the game. Because I've said before about uh, escapism, I think I have, and suspension of disbelief. It's... A lot of people read for escapism, they don't want to think about the real world right now. D&D is, to me, or tabletop gaming I should say, is the ultimate expression of that. Because you're not just not thinking about the real world, you're helping create an adventure in a fantasy world, in a science fiction world, in a any kind of world for whatever system you've found to play. So, and as the, I'm going to stop tangenting in now, as the player character you act out these adventures, you go into combat, you roll dice, you fight monsters, you describe what you're doing, so a good rule a lot of DMs have adopted now is um, how do you want to do this? And I, I put that down to Critical Role. Um, good show, if anyone hasn't watched Critical Role and you're thinking about getting into tabletop gaming, um, stop listening to me, go watch Critical Role, then come back and finish listening to me because I need the views. Uh, <laughs> shameless. I need the, the um, app, ping ping, shame. So, oh, there's Viva D&D, &D, I think the channel's called. They are fun. Uh, I've, re I've already got into watching Viva the Dirt League recently. Absolutely great channel. So, and yeah, you go on these adventures, you 
role play with your friends as these different characters with different alignments, all the same alignments, and you just have a great time together. And that's player characters. It's you. It's always been you. Right in here. And then we have the DM, or the GM, depending on your system. This is abbreviated from Dungeon Master or Game Master. Now, depending how kinky you are, it'll be Dungeon Master or Game Master. I tend to say DM just because that's what Dungeon Dragons has always said. But other systems, it's not D&D, so it'll be GM. The role of the GM, I'm going to say GM, is they create the adventure. Now, they're not just making shit up. They're not just going to go, oh, uh, this dragon has uh, these stats, um, it, it does this, and it shoots a fireball out of its ass. Because as much as it's a role-playing game, the game has rules. It's a game still. It's not just make up your own thing. So, the role of the GM is to create your adventure for you and guide you along the way. Not guide you. I tend to let my players have a lot of free reign. Some people don't. Some people do. Some people like a bit more structure. I say to the guys, you know, I act it out for them and this is the quest you're being given. You can accept or deny it. You can leave this town and explore and do whatever you want. But... The GM also acts out all the NPCs you meet. So, you know, they'll be acting out the tavern keepers and, you know, sort of, oh, would you like some rooms for the night, my friends? Oh, of course, that will be uh, 50 silver pieces. And their main responsibility is to craft the narrative. Now, depending on if you prefer a more structured game, they'll also craft an extensive campaign that's very story and narrative driven. And they will guide you along that when you stray too far from the path of it. Whereas, like I've said, I'm more improvisational and preparational. And I think the greatest asset someone who is running a D&D game can have is improvisation. So, if you are a new group of people, whoever, whichever one of you is the best at improvising, that person should be your first uh, GM. Or whoever has the GM manual, I suppose, should as well. So... They're the ones making the encounters for you. They're rolling your luck dice. They're putting monsters in your path and deciding if you can talk your way out of this situation. To a degree. Because they're still bound by the rules of the game. If you're trying to convince someone of something and you make the best case in the world, they can't just say no. Because the narrative says you need to go over here. They should allow you to roll persuasion or a similar attribute in a different game um, but some DMs just run it different now there are bad ones out there um, you know people get a bit too controlled and they just kind of want you to play the story they want you to play something a lot of, not a lot something some DMs I say a lot because they're the ones that stand out in the world they forget it's not just a game for them to live out the story they want the players are the most important thing. They're the ones who are... As much as you're creating the story, they're the ones breaking your story. They're the ones who are going to make your story something special, which is why I say improvise, because... Say in a recent campaign. So my group of players were given a quest, and all they had to do was go somewhere, investigate a thing, and then go back. So what ended up happening was they went somewhere investigated a thing, went a bit further with it, defeated a thing, and then went back. And they had completely altered the story because they had forced a chain of events to happen sooner than the event was ready. So I 
on the fly um, changed the encounters going forwards. So, yeah, you create the narrative, but your players are the ones also creating it. You're just giving them the outline of it. They're the ones filling it in. A bit like if you were to draw a sketch, you've drawn a rough sketch and someone else comes along and fills it in for you. That's kind of what it is. Now, another thing people do wrong, and I might, I'm going to do a list one day of just GM tips and things not to do. But another thing not to do is don't think of it as player versus DM or player versus GM. Because it's not. You're all there to have a good time. You're all there to play a game. You're not supposed to sit there and go, oh, I've got to defeat them. I've got to use my meta knowledge of everything. And I know what spells they've got, so I'm going to plan how to counter it all. And I know exactly what to do to kill them all. Like, the, the DM is God. You can just decide they all die. Like, <laughs> You don't need to force yourself to, oh, I must defeat them somehow. Because that's not the purpose of the game. You have a certain responsibility because if the GM is having a bad time and he doesn't want anyone else to have a good time, he'll facilitate that. In the game, he has the power to do so. But your ultimate ambition isn't to kill the player characters. Your ultimate ambition is, are we all having fun, guys? Some people forget it's a game above all else. Now, I know... A lot of you just clenched your anuses hearing me say that. But you experienced players who do Adventurers League and do tournaments. I know, but that's different. This is for the layman. This is for someone who's going to go to a friend's house, sit around a table with a couple of beers or a cup of coffee or something and just hang out and play a bit of D&D. &D. This isn't for you, um, Mr. Veteran Player, who certainly knows the rules better than me. Like, I know a lot of them. I've read the books back to back multiple times, but... Guys, there's some guys out there, and they'll tell you the page and the paragraph of a rule. People get real obsessive about it. And I love this game, but I'm not. That's next level. But that's all I have to say about DMs right now. But I'm going to mention again. So there's this thing called Adventurers League, uh, which Wizards sponsor. And it's Dungeon Dragons. I don't know if there's any in England. It might be just an American thing. I've never found one in England. But in America, they do Adventurers League, which are drop-in, drop-out games where they run modules, usually. Modules are pre-built adventures. I'll talk about them in a little while. And, yeah, people tend to take it a bit more seriously. They tend to know the characters a bit better. Whereas I'm constantly reminding guys, hey, guys, you know, you've got another plus two on that because braces of armor, you know. Oh, nope, you forgot. You don't get your AC bonuses then, do you? And there's also sort of tournaments, so you've got this uh, this dungeon, Tomb of Annihilation. It was originally made as a tournament one. And it's got things that one-shot you, that are unavoidable, and all sorts of nasties. I don't play games like that. I play them for fun, not for competitive purposes. So, this is for more if you want to play it for fun. So, NPCs are in the game. They operate as they would in any other game. <clears throat> any game. They don't have gold exclamation points above their heads, or gold question marks, but as the GM, you have to roleplay these characters. I know I'm going to stop talking about GMs, but I'm talking about NPCs specifically now. So, say the party's walking down the street of a bustling city. This is a good opportunity, if you have it, to play some music, um, some sound effects in the background for the people you're playing with. And maybe they're trying to find their way to the local blacksmith because they've heard rumours about his mastery and they want a new, a new sword crafting for their fighter who 
you know, is having troubles uh, attacking spirits and spectral monsters, and you've got to go into a crypt next week. So, maybe they've got to stop and ask some for directions. Now, they might accost a random passerby, and then you, the GM, are going to have to improvise, and then, uh, hello? Oh, yes, my name is, uh, Jared, what can I do for you? Oh, you're looking for the blacksmith, right? Um, okay, if you take the left down there and go right. You see what I mean? You have to create a character to fulfill the role of what you need at the time. It helps if you envision all these characters as if they all have lives to be getting on with. So, Jared is a very polite man because he's just been accosted by four armed and armoured people. But you might encounter someone else who's like, oh, I don't know, right? fuck off. I don't know what to do, he is. Right, leave me alone, yeah? I'm busy. Not every NPC needs to have a unique personality, voice, and accent. Some of them can just be, I can just use my speaking tone. Like, oh, yeah, if you go over there and turn right, turn left, go up the next street, and then you'll find um, the hardened hammer, the blacksmithery. And that's, that's NPCs. But, you know, there's also, as the gem, you're controlling everything other than the player character's actions. So you've got to be thinking about do I need to create a, a tavern keeper for them to meet and there's plenty of websites that you can just click on and it will give you names to name these characters and I've normally got a bit of a backlog in my head or on paper of characters to use so or you can improvise but so NPCs are anyone you meet who's not a player character so now we'll talk about a bit of what a campaign is so the campaign is the entire adventure. So, oh, what's an example? So, I've had a campaign going for about eight months now. I've been playing in one for about eight months. So, we call that a campaign. Whereas the individual sections you go through it in, so say you've got, say you go, I'm gonna build this in front of you. Just imagine this. So say I've got a line. That is the overarching plot. That extends from start to finish, or midway to finish, but it goes to finish. It's the overarching plot. Now, beneath that, you've got more of a segmented line, and that is the adventures. So that'll be the longer quest lines that... They don't necessarily have anything to do with the overarching plot, but they can do, they can be relevant. But under that, you have smaller dots, just dots this time, and that'll be your quests and encounters. So you've got campaigns, which is the entire thing. When all of the player characters die, you can either start a new one or carry on the old one's new characters. Now, the campaign kind of ends when you, the GM, either runs out of ideas or you just say, guys, that's, that's it. That's the story I had to tell. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. The adventure, the adventures, sorry, are sort of the more longer side quests that may lead you to think the witch of the wild hunt some of those side quests that are quite long and very in-depth and very compelling that's what i'd call an, a DD adventure basically the kind where you might go to multiple dungeons hunting a single foe but a quest or encounter would be just you know an, a big combat encounter against a boss in the world like you know dragons are a thing they might just swoop down after you when you're not looking i just saw myself in the mirror i'm just throwing my hands around while i'm doing this i'm getting excited Whereas a quest might just be, hey, hey, man, can you, um, uh, sorry, there's a, a rock, not a rock like a stone, a rock like a big, big bird. Um, it's been picking up all the cattle and eating all of our cattle. Could you, you're an adventurer, could you go deal with that? And that's a quest. 
So, because I've said a few times doing this, that this is for the new people, if I was a whole group of people who have never played a tabletop game, I would absolutely say, maybe look into finding a module to play. Because, I obviously mentioned modules earlier, very briefly, and just kind of said, oh, it's a pre-built campaign. So, I'm just going to expand on that. So, it's a pre-built campaign. Boom. Nailed it. So, the idea of that is you still roll your characters as normal, as, you know, your unique individuals that you are, but it tends to be more the the guided kind of campaign I spoke of earlier, where there's set objectives to meet and set circumstances to meet. So, it's easier as a GM to run, because the NPCs you need, the encounters you need to run, and the circumstances are, are printed out before you. Uh, if I'm going to give you some advice, though, um, if you do choose to go that route, uh, GM, just I'm not saying you have to memorise the whole thing, but just kind of know enough so you don't just have a book open in front of you at all times. Like, if any of us who do play the game have learned anything over the last 18 months, two years, like having to play online on Roll20 and through Discord, and obviously playing around the table is different because you can make eye contact with people, you can use your face and your body language to express tone and how the NPC is acting. So if I'm going to give you a DM any advice, know enough to buy yourself time while you glance at the book, because you don't want to be have your face buried in a book while you're talking. You want to be looking at your players, you want to look at who you're addressing specifically. If you're talking to one guy, you want to look at them and really get into the character. So if you're going to run a module, don't need to memorise it, but know enough to keep yourself going. Because, you know, you don't resolve a module or a campaign in a day, unless it's what we call a one-shot, which is just one game. So, now, there's a lot of modules out there for various levels. So there's ones that are literally made for beginners, and they'll be relatively easy, and they'll just sort of be dipping a toe in. Now, I'll be honest, as far as I know, because as a player I would not have known, as far as I know, I've never played a module. I've certainly never run one. But that's because by the time I had started running games, I had a few years under my belt and I knew kind of what I was doing with it. It's a very different skill set to playing the game and running the game, though. So there's modules like Rhyme and the Frost Maiden, which I think Wizards released last year. Maybe this year. I don't remember. I don't keep track of all these things. I'm bad at my job. This isn't my job, though. So, it will guide you through an adventure. Now, although it doesn't offer the same freedom as a free-flow campaign that, like, say, someone like me would make, it's just good if you're learning the game, or even if just that's the way you want to play. There's nothing wrong with it. Some people just want to play a game like it was a game, where it has a set story, which is absolutely fine. Now, in modules, you know, there is room to free-form it, but... They generally just have a guided purpose and goal in mind. They even normally have like conditions to be met for certain circumstances to progress. That, as a GM, you kind of nudge people in the right direction to. Now, again, I've never played one. This is not my style, but I wouldn't discourage anyone. If you want to get in touch, uh, I can probably make a few recommendations for you if you're new or even if you're bit experienced and you just want something different I can, I'll can, i do the work for you I'll do some research and I'll get back to you because anyone who emails me I will get back to you and yeah 
So that's modules, sort of a little rundown of how modules work. Now, another thing about tabletop gaming is the idea of house rules and shit like that, shit of that nature. That's literally what my note says. It says, talk about house rules and shit. Now, the game has set rules. It, it's a game. You have a player's handbook and a DM guide or a GM guide, or maybe there's just a, ha a game book. And they'll have all the rules and regulations and how the game works. But you can house rule it. Like as, a, as the guy running the game, as a GM, you can house rule it and say, Joe, I, I just don't like that rule, we're not using it. Or, Joe, it would be a really cool one, guys, if we did this instead of this. Like me, example, I like to say I'm playing Pathfinder, which I've just started doing, like I said. I like to offer both charisma or strength to be an intimidation that's not in the rules that's just what I do as a house rule because to me logically you could either intimidate someone by saying something threatening or doing something threatening and obviously doing something threatening is a lot easier if you're like a 6 foot 8 half orc who's built like a tank so that's a sort of an example of a house rule there's also you know, optional rules that you can just ignore completely like encumbrance and things like that and yeah, so basically, I'm not going to talk about all the rules of the systems because some are similar, some are radical. Like Cyberpunk is way different to like Pathfinder or Dungeons Dragons, whereas the there's actually a World of Warcraft one I played yonks ago, many years ago, that is almost exactly the same as Pathfinder, which is very similar to 3.5. So a lot of these come together in a very similar way, but then you've got ones like Cyberpunk, which are just radically different and operate completely differently and there's not really any overlap so I'm not going to go into all of the rules uh, another good one it is a good one is one I like there's one that, that, that is known as the rule of cool where it, it's kind of a house rule but it's kind of not so the idea of the rule of cool and it's not official or anything is that sometimes your guys want to do something incredibly stupid but it just sounds cool so say I don't know I want to climb the back of this dragon we're fighting so I can stab it in the back of the neck. And, you know, there's nothing in the rules that says that would offer you any kind of advantage because it's just not something that you would think that you would do. But if you're like me and you're a bit more chill, you might say, okay, um, roll me. You can either do it and nothing changes, it's just flavour. It's for the description. You've got to describe combat, be not d boring, detailed, overly, but like. Describe the swing and the effect it has. Keep people engaged. So you could say to them, okay, you can either climb up it and, you know, it will just be as normal, but it just sounds better. Or offer them the chance to make maybe an acrobatic check or a climbing check and maybe offer some kind of advantage to wanting to climb the dragon. That's kind of the idea of the rule of cool. It's doing something mainly because it's cool, but I like to maybe offer a little benefit if you get it right. I'd want to try and suplex a bear. Like, it didn't work, but I said to him, look, there's no reason like, I can find that you wouldn't be able to try. You just roll a really good strength check, and he failed. And I was like, well, the bear just falls on top of you when you try and lift it. Bad things have happened. But I started talking real quick there. I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if you didn't understand that, I'm sorry. So, something else I should talk about and I should mention is world building. And this is relevant to everyone who plays the game. 
Now, there are set worlds. So, Pathfinder has its own world. Dungeon Dragons has multiple worlds. So, it's got um, the Forgotten Realms. Greyhawk. It's got... What's that one called? What's that really dark vampire one called? I think it's Dark Sun. It's got Dragonlance. It's got different worlds and dimensions and stuff like that. So, I'm just going to give a little 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 droplet of a hint a hint a tip remember to be descriptive but not unto the point of tedium so do the work get maps get pictures of things but primarily you're going to be describing things to people so especially if you haven't played the game and you don't really have a base you're going to have to describe things to people in a detailed manner but world building is important um, good world building is very important. Now, sort of more experienced players might create their own worlds as, a, as what we call a homebrew, uh, where you you know custom races and classes. Anything that doesn't abide by the rules is known as a homebrew. Uh, by rules, I mean like what say Wizards of the Coast have released as like a playable race. If you decide actually, I really like the idea of playing, I don't know, fucking say a centaur. I don't know if that's a playable race, but you'd call that homebrew race and you'd stat that yourself and do the work. But back to world building. World building is probably one of the most important things, almost as important as the narrative, because you have to immerse people in this game to get them to care about the results of what's happening. So you need a little bit of a storyteller in you. You need to be able to construct a good world around them. Now, again, it's a bit easier with modules because it gives you the descriptions, but if you're creating your own homebrew... Honestly, put, put, put the work in. Don't make that shit up on the fly. Like, I've spent about a year homebrewing a world that I'm only just now starting to sort of beta with my friends. So, yeah, for now, guys, that's um, everything I really wanted to say about tabletop gaming. I hope all of you out there enjoyed this. Maybe a couple of you will get involved in the game. You know, get on social media, um, talk to some people, make... You know, find out. There's a lot of D&D or Pathfinder groups. There's a lot of Star Wars tabletop groups uh, floating out in the world. And they, at the moment, a lot of them are doing sort of Roll20 sessions or over Discord or services like that. So, you know, it's quite easy to get into a game. Just tell people you've never played it before. Bear with you. Uh, if you're a veteran player, you know, do the same. Get out there. Um, meet some more people. Expand your horizons. Try some different systems out. You never know. I wasn't going to play Pathfinder and I played it a couple of years ago and loved it so and that's what I'm doing now so I uh, hope you're all okay guys if you want to get in touch it's letstalkfantasy93 at gmail.com and I suppose I should probably tell a little D&D story since we've been harping on about it so much so this is from a World of Warcraft campaign or Warcraft I should say now in Dunmergo, or Moro, or however that dwarven homeland is pronounced, a group of adventurers set forth with the purposes of finding a cave of ice trolls. Now, we got to the cave, and I was playing a gnomish engineer, and I had created a satchel charge, and my intention had been to cause a cave-in. Uh, you know, sounds a bit horrible, actually. I tried to cause a cave-in to trap all the trolls in there, so they couldn't bother anyone. Now... We kept going and coming back because every time we went to this place we could never progress past the guards because they were just hard as nails 
and we had to keep retreating and going back and retreating and going back. And in the end, we managed to actually fight our way through the guards with a combination of you know raw power and a few clever illusions. We tricked them into thinking there was um, reinforcements coming from their rear, and they turned to face it. Now, unfortunately, my engineer got some really bad luck, and he was using a crossbow, which impaled himself. At this point, he was also speared. Now, unfortunately, this spear hit the satchel charge uh, my character had made, and it exploded. Somehow, my character survived this, because somehow. I think I rolled a really good con save. Now, at this point, our companions do something quite clever, and they say, Careful for the second one! Trying to create the deception that I had two of these satchel charges, which I did not. Now, here's an example of just one kind of cruel DMing and two just dumb players. I do love the guys dearly, though, they're my friends. Now, they come over and immediately cast heal over a crossbow bolt in my character's throat. So he basically comes back to life with a crossbow bolt in his neck. And they're like, oh, better remove that. So they then take that out, which causes him to bleed out again. At which point he dies because I spoke up and said, guys, why don't you just remove it and then heal him? Because he was basically dead before anyway. And I was then told I was dead because I was metagaming as an unconscious character. Metagaming, by the way, is like when you say something a character... Metagaming is... When you say you know something your character wouldn't know, or you say something when your character wouldn't be able to speak, i.e. when you're unconscious. So, that was the end of my level 1 engineer. It was a short, short character. Of course I've got like 50 character deaths under my belt now. I'm a bad D&D player. And, take care everyone. Bye.